chapter 4, and if you've been following with us, we're, we're doing a study through Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're calling it the good news for everyone. That's Luke's heart in his gospel, is showing that Jesus came not just for the Jews, he came for all mankind. We saw this in the genealogy that he very strategically chose to go through Mary's line and not to stop at Abraham, to go all the way back to Adam, ultimately to God himself to say, this Jesus, this Messiah, he is the hope for all humanity. And if you were with us last week, we got to see a little bit of the credentials that he was laying out for Jesus to be the Messiah. And part of that was the baptism This spectacular moment where the the skies are ripped open and God says, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. The spirit comes down bodily in a form like a dove, comes upon Jesus and remains there. And we're given this genealogy to show that Jesus was a real man who lived, who came from the necessary line to be the Messiah. And we pick it up in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, when we read this. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread." But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours." And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone." And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray this morning as we begin our study of God's word. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would by your Spirit, speak to your people this morning. We come by faith believing that your word is truth, that it is necessary for our lives, and that you can speak to us today, specifically. You can give us a word. You can convict us of sin. You can give us answers to questions and guidance as we move forward in life, all from your living and active word. And God, this morning as we come before a text about temptation, Lord, we recognize there is not a person in this building or online that can not relate. 
God, would you show us how to have victory over temptation through the example that you laid out for us. Jesus, as you walked through these temptations and yet remained sinless, would we gain necessary understanding, but we also recognize our desperate need for your Spirit's empowering. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And God's people said, amen. Well, if you're taking notes and you want to write down a title this morning, you could write this down, Victory Over the Enemy. Victory Over the Enemy. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. Through these temptations, we see Jesus facing. Now, as we're looking at a a section that is speaking about temptation, I've already briefly mentioned it in our prayer, but there's not a single person here this morning that can look at a text like this and say, doesn't relate can't really relate with that, never really been tempted before. However, I'm willing to guess there's a lot of people that come to a text like this, and although you very much can relate with the temptation, you see Jesus through temptation after temptation after temptation come out victoriously, speak scripture against the lies of the enemy, and continue to combat the deception, and you go, well, that's the part I can't relate with. I I see the temptations day after day, but the words coming out of my mouth in temptation are definitely not Scripture, and the outcome of my temptation is typically not victory. Don't be discouraged today. You're not alone in that place. And I believe that through our study this morning, there are helpful tools we can see through Jesus' example, but also be encouraged remembering, as Scripture tells us, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And that where sin and defeat may abound, His grace abounds so much more. We come together as a church this morning that is not perfect, but is continuing to to aim towards that goal. That as He told us, be holy as I am holy, we strive towards that, knowing though that the victory is found in Jesus, and in Him we are more than conquerors. We come to our text this morning and Just as we saw last week in the genealogy that Luke took us all the way back to Adam, we're going to see some helpful comparisons between Adam and Jesus in our text this morning. Because remember, Adam was truly the only other sinless man that walked this earth besides Jesus. But Adam, unlike Jesus, was tempted by Satan and fell to his temptation. Here, Luke is pointing us to a better Adam. Jesus that came, the next sinless man who would endure such temptation and would come out sinless and spotless. Not only did we see last week that Jesus identifies with us through baptism, but in this week we see that he identifies with us through temptation. It's what Hebrews speaks to in chapter 4 when it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We're seeing that play out in real time in our text this morning as Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he will be tempted time and time again and yet without sin. And it's an interesting point that we need to acknowledge this morning. Our text starts by saying that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit It continues in verse 1 to say he was led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 next week is going to speak beginning with 
by the power of the Spirit. And yet, just because you're filled and led by the Spirit of God doesn't mean there won't be seasons in the wilderness. It doesn't mean there won't be seasons of difficulty. It doesn't mean you will be spared temptations. In fact, I would argue that it it puts a target on your back that means all the more you will be facing temptations and struggles because of that reality. And Jesus is led by the Spirit of God immediately following his baptism, right before the majority of his earthly ministry is going to take place, into the wilderness. And we read that he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they ended, he was hungry. Now Luke, being a doctor, is giving us a really important detail here. When he mentions that after the 40 days, he was hungry. Because if you've fasted for any amount of time, then maybe you've, you've experienced personally that the first day is uncomfortable. The second day can feel extremely uncomfortable. But if you continue to push on in your fasting, you'll get to a point where actually all hunger leaves you. You no longer experience that deep hunger every time you walk around a corner or you smell a meal. Your stomach actually begins to to slow down until, doctors say, you get to the point of starvation. And when you're at the point of starvation before your body fully begins to shut down, the hunger ramps back up again. Jesus here, 40 days fasting in the wilderness, and it's at that very moment where starvation is at his door. His body is at the end of its physical ability that he begins to get hungry again. And Luke, the doctor, gives us this detail to say it was when he was hungry. The devil says to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. At his weakest, most vulnerable, that's when the enemy attacks. Not on day one of the fast. Let's wait till the 40th day. Let's wait until your body is at the end of itself. Because the enemy doesn't fight fair. He will kick you when you're down. He will attack you when you're least expecting it. He waits until you're most vulnerable and weak. And in that opportune moment, he slides in a solution to your problem. He tries to give you a little bit of an ease to your suffering, a moment of pleasure, a break, a relief in what you're experiencing. David Guzik, Bible commentator, makes an interesting insight right here at this moment when he says, Jesus was hungry but full of the Spirit. We are sometimes just the opposite, full stomachs and empty spirits. How painfully true is that? We may look at Jesus' situation and say, man, he's set up for failure, but quite the opposite is true. His body may be hungry, but his spirit is very full. We would do well to follow suit in this. But we're going to see these three temptations the enemy is going to bring before Jesus. And the first temptation we see here, ultimately, we could summarize as this. It's pleasure. It's pleasure. The enemy says, command this stone to become bread. The enemy knows that at this moment, Jesus not eating for 40 days, what's going to be a great temptation to put before him? It's food. 
is to satisfy his hunger. And this is not a bad plan of the enemy because think about this. The enemy has only ever been against one sinless man in all of our human history, and it was Adam. And what did, what did Adam and Eve fall to? It was, it was the forbidden fruit. And what was the deception there? It was this pleasure that if you eat of this, you'll be like God. And it was pleasing to the eye. He appealed to their pleasure. He's had a perfect record with this trick. Just allow the lust of your flesh, the the desires and pleasures that you so deeply want to be taken into your own hands. Don't wait for God to provide it in His timing. Make it happen here and now. For Jesus, He's appealing, use your power, use your ability, use your gift to benefit yourself. Now, the enemy isn't dumb. He knows where you're most weak and where you're most prone to give in to temptation. When Jesus is most hungry, he's tempting him with food. He knows the area of your weakness, and that is the area he will tempt. And he's offering a wrongful means of getting food for the hungry. We also see him offer dishonest means of financial gain for those that are struggling financially. He'll offer you a subtle way to satisfy your sexual desire when you're filled with lust and a harmful level of security and protection in material things when you feel vulnerable and scared about the future and the dangers around you. I wonder in what ways the devil has been playing this trick on you and how have you been responding to it? In an area of weakness in your life, in a space where you feel and recognize there's a lack, realize the enemy would love to offer you a quick and easy solution to that problem. Not a lasting one, not a truly beneficial one, but a sad substitute for the real thing. And what is Jesus' reply to this temptation of the enemy? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 here. When God was speaking to the children of Israel in another wilderness. Because what the devil is saying here on the surface can seem to make sense, doesn't it? You're out here starving. You don't, don't starve yourself. Just make yourself some bread and eat. You're hungry. You have the ability. Just give yourself some food. But Jesus shows a, a deeper and better picture of what truly matters. The Word of God matters more than the food He's about to eat. And not only practically does that make sense, but in Jesus' situation, the Word of God and the plan of God for Jesus' life was not for Him to be on earth to just satisfy His own pleasures and desires. The plan of God for His life was that He would come and seek and save the lost. And so Jesus combats this temptation and comes out victorious using what? The very weapons you and I have been given today to combat temptation. 
Aren't you encouraged today that everything Jesus is going to use in our text to combat temptation again and again and again are not tools that we look at and say, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could use those things? He's doing so filled with the Spirit of God and using the Word of God. Two things that every believer in Jesus has today that they can use. You're not without the necessary tools to combat the temptation of the enemy. But what we need to realize as well is that Jesus knew how to handle the Word of God. You can do more damage than good with a sword you don't know how to use. A sword misused, as Peter would tell you, could do a lot of damage. He'd taken an ear a time or two. If we hope to use Scripture to combat the lies and deception of the enemy and the world around us, you had better know how to use it in its context. We'll talk more about this in a minute when we see the enemy continue to try and deceive Jesus even by using Scripture outside of its context. But then we come to this second temptation. The devil takes him onto a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and says to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. The second temptation we could summarize in one word to be power. Specifically, power of control. Now, it says that he took him onto a high mountain, which might be confusing if you've been to the Judean wilderness and you've walked around because you know there's not really anything we would qualify as a high mountain, especially where we live. And we're like, I could... I could list for you some high mountains, but nothing in that wilderness. Well, the original language just means really an elevated place. And there are rolling hills. But wherever he took him, in this moment he shows him everything that he's been given authority over and says, I will give it to you if you will just worship me. And you have to recognize the cleverness of the enemy in this temptation. He knows what Jesus came earth to do, to take back authority over the earth, to save and reclaim the people that were lost in sin, and to receive the glory due his name. Satan offers Jesus what he came for without having to go through the cross. The success without the suffering and the shame. Knowing full well the Father's plan, according to Luke 24, was for Jesus to suffer first and then to enter into glory. But this is victory without the war. The devil tries to pay Jesus off by giving him what is rightfully his at the wrong time and in the wrong way. But realize this, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And the right thing gained in the wrong way is still the wrong thing. All the things that the devil will tempt Jesus with are good things gained about in the wrong way. And Jesus' response to Satan in this moment is, Get behind me, Satan. 
Now, it's interesting that we don't see Jesus in our text deny that Satan does have authority over these things. But he recognizes the evil in attaining them through this means. Adam and Eve, as we understand it, have forfeited their rightful dominion over the earth to Satan in the garden. This is why John chapter 12 calls Satan the ruler of this world. That's why Ephesians 2.2 says Satan is the prince of the power of the air. But realize if Jesus would have submitted to the plan of Satan, our salvation would have been lost. Jesus may have gained authority over the world in the way that Satan has been given that authority. And yet his response in this moment, recognizing the lies and deception of the enemy, is to get behind me. I wonder if that phrase rings a bell in your ear. If you're familiar with other scriptures, it should, because in Matthew 16, Jesus said the very same thing to one of his disciples, Peter. When we see that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Why did he use the exact same phrase to Peter that he used to the devil? Because it was the exact same temptation from Peter he had faced from Satan in the wilderness. Rule and reign without the cross. Don't go and die and surrender and submit. No, no, no. Take matters into your own own hands. Go in there in power Overthrow this kingdom and rule and reign now. It's the same deception that the, that the enemy was trying to use in the wilderness. That Peter thinks, no, 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 Jesus. Stop talking about this dying and, and them, them putting you on a cross. No, 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 you're going to go in there in power and strength and we're going to overthrow this kingdom. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I've heard that lie before. I've seen this temptation before. And he's calling it out. It's an important lesson for every one of us to realize this morning. Temptation doesn't always come in the form of a foe. Sometimes it comes through your closest friends. Maybe well-intended friends, and yet it's the same temptation. If Peter got what he wanted in this moment, salvation would have been lost. He thinks he knows the best way. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't even know what you're asking. If you got what you asked for, salvation would be lost. I have to go and die on that cross or you can't be saved. May that also be a reminder to us the times Jesus doesn't answer our requests and our prayers of how little we actually see and know. But here the temptation came through one of his own disciples who had good intentions and yet clearly didn't understand what Jesus was coming to do on that cross. But likewise, he says, get behind me, Satan. 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Once again, he's referencing Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6. And this was a chapter that was given as a warning to the children of Israel as they were entering the promised land to not forget the Lord who brought them there. And that it was His grace and His mercy that brought them the safety all the way into this land, but that they were not to forget their God. That they were not to to turn and worship the false gods of the land they were entering into. And it's the very same danger that Jesus is in in this moment, where the devil's trying to get Him to forget His Father and the plans of His Father and to worship before Satan, the ruler of this world. Instead, but Jesus sets the record state and establishes the fact that God alone is worthy of our worship, and it is Him alone whom we should serve. Once again, He combats the lies of the enemy with the words of God. And Satan has one final temptation to throw at Jesus in this moment. He brings him to Jerusalem and he sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he tells him to throw himself down from there. For it is written, his angels, he shall give charge over you to keep you. The third temptation of the enemy is summarized in one word, it's protection. We could also say it's provision. If you're really the son of God... And realize every time when he starts with that statement, the devil's not questioning whether or not he is the Son of God. The original language, you could actually say, since you are the Son of God. He's not denying that fact. But he's saying, since you're the Son of God, then you can just throw yourself off the top of this temple right now, and he'll give his angels charge over you. They'll protect you. You're not going to die. You're protected in God's hands. Throw yourself off the temple. In many ways, this had the potential of being a spectacular event. This wasn't merely a moment to say, let's test death and see if God will protect you. This is also a moment he's trying to appeal to this fact that if you were to jump from the pinnacle of this temple right now, think about the crowds below that see this man falling down from the temple and then angels swoop him up No one's going to question anymore whether or not you're the Son of God. In fact, there's an ancient Jewish writing that records a traditional belief that the Messiah would show himself to Israel standing on the roof of the temple. And if Jesus did what Satan suggested in this moment, it would fulfill this messianic expectation of their day. This is Jesus' opportunity to do what the people want. To finally get the praise and recognition he deserves. To actually prove how much he believes God will protect him. And Satan makes the deal even more enticing by once again sharing a short portion, a very strategic portion of Scripture out of its context to try and promote his plan. Now, there's a saying worth remembering, and it's this, that there's no telling what's next when you take a text out of its context. There's no telling what's next 
when you take a text out of its context. This is how cults have started around the world. They're taking text out of its context. This is how abuse has been weaponized by Scripture, by taking texts out of their context. This is how neglect has taken place. This is how confusion and deception can be widespread throughout a nation. Because we take text out of its context, and you can make it say anything you want to. No matter how great the book is, you can make it say just about anything you want if you strategically pick the words you want to read. And this happens all around us, even today. In fact, a more modern example of this that I'm sure some of you are familiar with is is this billboard, if we can pull up that image. Okay, it's not working. That's okay. There's a billboard that's been going on being placed around town. Well, not necessarily this town, but along the freeway. I'm sure you've seen one. And it says this, Do you need an abortion? California is ready to help. Learn more at abortion.california.gov. And below that, in italics, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Mark 12, 31. A billboard that would advertise abortion, that would give you the link for where you need to go, that would then use Scripture to try and back up that abortion. You take Scripture, any text, out of its context, and you can make it say just about anything you want it to say. The devil is at work today just as he was in the wilderness with Jesus, if you don't know Scripture, if you don't know the context of that Scripture, realize how easy it is for the enemy to use it against you. Church, we need to know our word. And we need to be able to say that is not at all what that Scripture was meant to represent. In fact, we could use that very scripture against that very stance to say, that's the whole reason I am against this, is because I'm trying to love my unborn neighbor as myself. But when we take a text out of its context, there's no telling what is next. The devil has taken a portion of Psalm 91, verse 11. He shall give his angels charge over you, but he's failed to finish the verse. And it's intentional. Because if we were to read the rest of the verse, here's what we'd see. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Some versions translate that word keep to guard you in all your ways. Do you see how clearly the second part can prevent the first part from ever happening? If God has given his angels charge over you to guard you, to keep you, to protect you in all your ways, then they will quite quickly be guiding you off of the pinnacle of the temple and not through the invisible elevator that goes straight down, but by means of the wisdom of the stairs. I had a friend at Bible college who was conducting a bit of an experiment. I felt like it it was a different kind of experiment than what he thought, but he... Uh, One of his classes at Bible college, they were discussing Jesus walking on water and this, this incredible moment where even a disciple is called out onto the water with him. What an incredible moment. And so we have a lake 
at the Calvary Chapel Bible College, and, and he wanted to conduct an experiment. And so he, he prayed upon a couple young, naive, first-semester students and said, hey, do you guys have faith in the Lord? And they said, well, of course. He said, how much faith? Oh, we have so much faith in the Lord. You believe he can do anything? He can do anything. Okay, then why don't you try and walk on the lake? And there's a pause, and and then one of the bold girls says, okay, I'll do it. And she takes out her phone, and he goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? She said, well, I'm taking out my cell phone. He said, because you think you're going to get wet? Where's your faith? Put your phone back in your pocket if you believe you're going to walk on water and it's going to be dry. And so this girl takes a deep breath, and she sticks her phone in her pocket, and she boldly takes a step out and goes right into the lake. And then he looks to her friend next to her as she's stumbling out of the lake, smelly, wet, and says, well, what about your faith? Clearly, she didn't have enough faith. Are you going to try and take your phone out of your pocket as well? And she says, no, I'm not. She walks right up, and she goes right into the lake. But this is where his experiment flipped on him, because they both look back at him and say, so where's your faith? Oh, you want to challenge us, but where's your faith? And he said, I'll show you my faith, and he steps right off into that lake. Well, I think there's a better lesson to be learned there, which is exactly what we see in our text today. Instead of testing or tempting the Lord your God to say, I'm going to step off here and you better save me, what if instead you allowed him to guide your decisions and direct your path and guard and protect you from ever stepping into the lake? Wisdom could have prevailed in this moment. Three cell phones could have been spared. Jesus responds, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not test the Lord your God. Once again, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This was a useless test. It wouldn't prove anything to Jesus or the devil they didn't already know. Truly, those who were going to come to faith in Jesus didn't need to see him jump from the temple in this moment. But there's an important truth in this temptation that we do well to remember today. The devil brought Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, but he couldn't throw him off. What did he tell Jesus? He told Jesus to step off. Throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple. I don't care how many times you want to say it, the devil didn't make you do it. Now the devil can lead you into temptation. He can wave it in front of your eyes. He can put the scent before your nose. He can tell you how great it's going to be and convince you of how much it's going to fulfill your desires. He cannot make you sin. He didn't force Adam and Eve to eat of the tree. He didn't toss Jesus off of the temple. And he cannot force your hand today Ultimately, what does that tell us? It tells us that the greatest foe we are going to face in our life is the one sitting in our chair this morning. It's ourselves. He will tempt us. He will do everything he can to deceive us and to convince us that what he's offering us is what's best, but you are the one that's going to act upon that. Remember what God told Cain all the way back in Genesis. 
Genesis 4, 6 through 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And this is after his sacrifice had not been accepted. His offering had not been accepted to the Lord. And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, temptation came before Jesus. It was at his door and knocking, but he ruled over it. Sin is at your door today. It is all around you. In fact, it is within our sinful nature. But we are called to rule over it. Heed the words of God today through the demonstration of Jesus in our text. Rule over your sin by the power of the Spirit through the wisdom and word of God. And when you do, look what takes place in our text. The devil has failed in his attempts and it says he leaves Jesus to come another day. He leaves, but he waits for an opportune time. James 4, 7 summarizes everything we've seen in our text here this morning in this. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is victory available in your temptation today when you submit to God and resist the devil. But note how it ends. He left him until an opportune time. 1 Peter 5.8 gives us a word of exhortation, a word of warning when it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Victory yesterday doesn't guarantee safety today. You had victory over your temptation yesterday. Praise the Lord for that. Thank the Lord that He gave you strength, that you acted by truth and not the deceptions of the enemy, but don't count on yesterday's victory for today's temptation. He's waiting for an opportune time. That's why, that's why Paul would say that I need to take heed lest I fall. Because I would argue that although the enemy loves to attack you at your weakest, sometimes that moment is right after a victory. It's right after a success. It's right after a moment that, the, that you've had this incredible breaking through in an area that you've been hitting a wall. And then the enemy slips in because he's waiting and he's crouching and he's looking for an opportune time to pounce. A moment that we have victory, but we stop looking to the Lord and we start depending on our methods and our strength and our track record. And this subtle little pride begins to set in. Compromise begins to take place. And the enemy sees that weakness and says, here's my opportunity. They're trusting in their own ability, their own logic, their own understanding. They're not trusting the Lord with all their hearts. Maybe it's a, a root of bitterness in your life that the enemy sees. Maybe it's an unrestrained lust 
that's taking place and beginning to have compromise. Maybe it's a season of isolation. We're allowing the enemy to, to show you what's wrong with everybody else. And you're the only one that really sees it and gets it. And so I can't possibly have fellowship with these people. And in that isolation, the, the enemy says, oh, now I've got you. He's a, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You've watched National Geographic. You know which one they're going to get. It's the one that's out by itself. Believers, submit to God daily. Resist the devil daily. Take up your cross and die to yourself daily, and he will flee from you. In our text this morning, we see Jesus come out victorious, where Adam, where the children of Israel never could. Our hope today is not in Let's put together some better methods. Let's, let's muster up a little more strength and let's figure out how to overcome this sin. Now, it takes a responsibility on your part. Having a good plan is wise of you to do. But realize without the power of the Spirit and the wisdom of God's Word, you will never come out victorious. We are desperately in need of the Spirit of God to strengthen us when we are weak to give us wisdom when we're being deceived. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks all about this spiritual battle that takes place. And it says that we are to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. As I invite the worship team to come back up, Realize this, that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. That every time you walk out those doors and leave on a Sunday morning, you're walking on to a battlefield where there are spiritual battles taking place in our hearts, in our minds, in our city and nation all around us every day. The devil won't fight fair. He won't give you a warning or a heads up of what's coming. And he's smarter than you realize. But if you have any hope of winning in the wilderness, it starts with winning in your home. And if you have any hope of winning this battle in your home, it starts with you first and foremost today in your heart. And if there's not victory over the temptation in your own life, don't expect there to be victory over temptation in your home. And if there's not victory over temptation in your home, don't expect there to be victory over temptation in the community around you. This morning, we need to deal with the temptation that is at our door, the sin that is creeping there and knocking, whose desire is for you, that you need to rule over. And the way we need to address it, the way we need to combat it this morning is the same way your doctor would want to combat cancer within your body. How do they address cancer? Aggressively and quickly. How would you feel if your doctor told you, you've got a really aggressive form of cancer that's going to take your life if we don't act? But I suggest we wait a while. Let's take a couple months off. I have a couple trips planned with my family, and then we'll, we'll revisit this. Let's just see what happens. 
Or if he says, you know what, it's, it's aggressive, we need to act right now. But let's just like take a part of it. We don't need to take all of it. Like, I know it'll probably spread, it'll come back, but let's just take a little piece of it. It's something, right? It's better than nothing. But how often is that the way we address our sin? The Lord convicts you of a sin in your life, an area that you know is a weakness and a struggle, and we don't approach it aggressively, even though Jesus has told you when your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. When your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Those are aggressive terms. We don't address it aggressively. And we don't approach it quickly. We just hope we can get out of the building quick enough and distract ourselves with some entertainment fast enough that we forget about this feeling of conviction in this moment. You need to deal aggressively and quickly with your sin or your sin will deal aggressively and quickly with you. This morning as we close in a time of worship, we always have people available for prayer and they're going to be available for prayer at the front of the room. I'm going to be available in the back of the room and we're going to have people after worship available in our prayer room over here. Don't allow the areas of your life that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your recognition to go unattended. Act aggressively. Act quickly. Deal with those issues today because sin is at your door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And this morning, you have an opportunity We're providing the space. We've got people willing and desiring to pray with you. And you've got a God that is for you and is with you, who has victory in his son for you this morning. If you would receive it and if you would act upon it, don't neglect the opportunity you've been given. We know how that story goes for Cain. The Lord gave him the warning He didn't heed the call, and he would go from that very conversation to strike down his brother and kill him. When we neglect and harden our hearts to the sin the Lord is making us aware of and the action we know he's calling us to today, we set ourselves up for failure. You want to have victory like Jesus had in the wilderness? Respond to that temptation today. Combat it by the Spirit of God with the Word of God and allow brothers and sisters in Christ around you to be brought into that struggle because you're stronger together than you are alone. Let someone else hold you accountable. Let someone else speak into that situation. Let someone else bear your burden with you. You don't have to do it alone. And so I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to move into a time of worship, but... Believer, do the work you need to do here and now today before you go out there on that battlefield. Let's pray. God, we come before your word today, encouraged by your victory over the enemy, by your triumph, even in the midst of temptation. 
And we're encouraged not only because of the victory we have in Jesus, but that the same tools he used to have that victory have been given to us today. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have not responded to your Spirit's leading. Lord, forgive us for neglecting your word, the sword of the Spirit that we have been given to fight against the lies of the enemy. But God, this morning, we want to start afresh and anew. This morning, Lord, we want to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand the enemy. This morning, Lord, we want to have victory in that area and not just on Sunday. We want to have victory moving forward. We no longer want these areas of struggle to remain in our life. But God, we recognize that that kind of decisive victory only comes by the power of your Spirit. So would you fill us with your Spirit afresh and anew today. Overflow us. Prepare us for the battles we will face today. Bring to remembrance your word that we have hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. And in this moment, convict us where there is sin, where there are temptations that are going unnoticed or unresolved. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring a boldness in this room to anyone who's hesitant to go forward in prayer. That more than the fear about the opinions around them, there would be a healthy fear about what happens when we allow the enemy to have a foothold in our life. Holy Spirit, do the work in our hearts this morning that needs to be done. May we respond as the people that take our sin seriously and act decisively, aggressively and quickly so that you may be glorified in our lives, that we'd be good representations of you to the world around us so that we can experience the victory and the freedom that you offer us so that the devil will flee as we submit to you and resist him. For your glory, God, and in your name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.